Lord God, Heavenly Father, as we continue to celebrate the resurrection of our Savior, Jesus Christ, we thank you that as he restored Peter to his apostleship, so also each day we are restored to our standing as your sons and daughters. Because in Christ, you have reconciled us into yourself and you have given to us his righteousness. So let us live each day rejoicing in forgiveness and living out our lives in love for you and love for our neighbor. So bless us now as you study your word in John 2. May we grow in our knowledge of the grace and mercy that is ours because of Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen. Okay, so John 2, we began our our discussion of this last week, um, that as we are in this Gospel of John, the, in we start with the prologue, of course, but then we start with the ministry of John the Baptist, and we establish him as, as somebody you can trust. Um, also, the Old Testament is somebody you can trust. And then in John chapter 2, it starts with the first sign, which we call miracles, but the first sign, which is a wedding at Cana and the turning of water into wine. And now, after that, this this episode, the cleansing of the temple, is the first public event of Jesus' ministry. So the sign at Cana was not really a public event. Very few people knew about it. It was at a private party. Um, even the people at the party didn't really know what happened. It was just the servants and the disciples believed in him somehow through it. But it wasn't really a public event. So this, the cleansing of the temple in John 2 is the first public event of Jesus' ministry in the Gospel of John. Okay, so so now Jesus is starting to do things as his own ministry. Before it was all in light of John the Baptist ministry and then private party. Now we are transitioning into the public ministry of Jesus. And as we do so, um, we, we meet some opposition. And this is an important thing in the Gospel of John, especially in John's Gospel, is that the Jews... The Jews are going to be in opposition to Jesus. So Jesus is going to do things, and the Jews are going to stand opposed to him. Or the Jews are going to do something, and and Jesus is going to say, you're wrong. Okay? So now the Jews kind of becomes this group of people that stand opposed to Jesus. And the Jews then are going to be in line with the temple and I, I know this will upset some people but also the Torah okay so the Jews are going to stand and defend the temple and the Torah and Jesus is going to be opposed to them and these things okay That's kind of a bitter pill to swallow in some ways. But this is actually what's going to happen now is that Jesus is going to say, these things are not where you should go to find God. Instead, you should look to the death and resurrection of Jesus. And what he's going to start to teach them, and John 2, this cleansing of the temple, is the first stage of this, is that this is actually this. That the true temple is Jesus himself 
his very body and blood through his death and resurrection. And the Torah, the word of God given for us to know him, is actually all teaching about his death and resurrection. And he himself in his flesh is the physical word of God walking around. Okay, so in the Gospel of John, more than the other Gospels even, Jesus in his body is the temple. Jesus in his body is the word of God. And when the Jews reject Jesus, they're rejecting God's presence and God's word. Do you see that? That's kind of what's going on in John chapter 2 with the cleansing of the temple, which is why it's such an upsetting event. Okay? Well, the, the problem with is the problem is we don't know when this happens. Um, the problem with the temple cleansing in the Gospel of John is that in the uh, this this is one of the events that's in all four Gospels. But the other three Gospels all record it during Holy Week, the last week of his life. John is the only Gospel to have it at the beginning of the Gospel. So, either we are supposed to read the Gospel of John as concentrating on just the last little bit of his life, but the problem is there's three Passovers in John, which would take at least two years to get through. Um, or, John moves it early in order to teach us the structure of the way he's going to write his Gospel, or there were two temple cleansings. And scholars have had all of these opinions during the, the centuries. Um, John Chrysostom, who's one of the earliest interpreters of the church, who's really a well-respected interpreter, he says there were two temple cleansings. <clears throat> Just because it's so different than the other. But it's really hard to, to kind of picture this happening at the beginning of J Jesus' ministry when there's no, op there's no opposition to Jesus in his early ministry in the Synoptic Gospels. Okay, do you guys realize that? At the beginning of Jesus' ministry, everybody liked him. It's only until he, till the end of his ministry people start not liking him. Okay, we so much of what we read is about the last part of Jesus' ministry that we kind of have this picture that the entire time he's walking around, it was opposed to him. But that's not really what happened. What really what happened is he walked around, but was like, "Hey, we like this guy. He's pretty cool," because he was teaching stuff that helped interpret the Torah, right? But then he started saying crazy things, like I don't know, like I'm the Lord of the Sabbath, you know? And they're like, "Ah, no!" And then they started realizing that what he was really saying was that. He's Yahweh, and that really got him in trouble. Okay? So the reason I say all that is because the, the best way to read this is that John is helping us to see the entire life of Jesus as the passion, as his getting to the cross. Okay? So he's framing the entire gospel as the suffering and death of Jesus. And we talked about this when we talked about the wedding at Cana, that a lot of the words beginning of the miracle, the beginning of the story, were really words about his cross, the death and resurrection. Same is true in this story, is that this really reads like his death and resurrection. That that's really the point. Which is a good way to read the gospel. Okay? Alright, so let's read. So he cleans, he cleans the temple um, in the first part of the story in, in 13 through 17. But let's read 18 and 20 through 22. John 2, 18 through 22. 
miraculous sign can you show us to prove your authority to do all this? Jesus answered them, destroy this temple, and I will raise it again in three days. The Jews replied, it has taken 46 years to build the temple, and you are going to raise it in three days? But the temple he had spoken of was his body. After he was raised from the dead, his disciples recalled that what he had said, then they believed the scripture and the words that Jesus had spoken. Thank you very much. Okay, so when did the disciples believe Jesus? When did they get all this figured out? After his resurrection. Okay, so did the disciples get it when Jesus said it? No. 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 When did they get it? After he was raised from the dead. What's that? They got it from the Spirit. Yeah, when the Spirit taught them. Very good. So let's go to after the resurrection of the dead. John chapter 20. John's really easy, by the way. Whatever Jesus says, you can just look it up later and see what happens. Because John's like, see? See? Okay, so go to, go to the end of the gospel, John 20. And they're going to get it. We're going to see disciples getting it. It's kind of cool. Okay, so John 20, verse 22. John 20, verse 22. And, and when he had said this, that's Jesus, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. Right? Well, guess what the Holy Spirit does? According to Jesus' own words, that when you receive the Holy Spirit, he will lead you into all truth. He will remind you of all the things that I have told you. That's what Jesus says in the upper room in John 14 and 15. He says, when you receive the Holy Spirit, he will remind you what I said and he will teach you what I meant. Okay, so go to John 20 verse 28. This is the result of the the Holy Spirit, which he will give to Thomas in the next section. Thomas answered him and says, my Lord and my God. So the first thing the Holy Spirit is going to do is he's going to teach the disciples who Jesus really is. He is God. He is Yahweh in the flesh. It's the first thing the Holy Spirit is going to teach. And then it's going to teach the disciples how to understand and believe all the words that Jesus spoke. So now they have the Holy Spirit. They're going back and they're re-watching all the movies and they're going, oh, that's what he meant. We totally didn't get it when he said it. Right? I mean, could you, you read, you've read the Bible, kind of, right? Jesus is always saying words we don't get. Even with the Holy Spirit, there's a lot of stuff he says that we still have no idea what it means, right? We're still like, well, I don't know, this parable kind of doesn't go the way we think it should go. It's kind of weird. So, so now with the Holy Spirit, they're going back and they're remembering all the things that Jesus taught them and they're going, oh, see, that makes more sense now. Yes. So when Thomas wasn't there when he freed them. So right. So, so he, he again does this. So he speaks to him again in John 20 when he says, put your hands out here and touch. So he's literally answering Thomas's question. And, the, and again, the breathing out of Jesus, the, the peace to you from Jesus, this is all kind of referring back to the last time when the Holy Spirit was given, but it doesn't make that explicit reference. But yeah, 
So the, the idea is that when Jesus speaks to his disciples after the resurrection, he's speaking Holy Spirit into them, basically. So that's what happens with Thomas, is the result of Thomas hearing the words of Jesus, right? Then, then this, the Spirit works faith in his heart, and he confesses. Okay, Michelle? It's, okay, breathe on is, yeah. So in John 20, you've got to understand John 20 is simply Genesis 2. You've got to know Genesis 2 to read John 20. What happened in Genesis 2? What happened in Genesis 1? The creation. What happened in Genesis 2? The creation. Okay? Genesis 2 is the specific creation of man. That's the point of Genesis 2. Genesis 1 is the creation of the entire thing, right? The entire cosmos, sun and moon and stars and all kinds of stuff. Genesis 2 is the creation of mankind. And so Genesis 2, you get the Garden of Eden. You get man formed out of the, the dust of the ground. And, and he's, he's got a body, but he's just kind of laying there dead. So God breathes on him his spirit or breathes into him the spirit. And he becomes a living being, Right? So in John 20, we get this, this, all this stuff happens in a garden and the spirit is breathed with the result being life. That's all in John 20, that's all in Genesis 2. So all of these things are referenced back. So, so what John is saying is that when Jesus breathed on them and they received the Holy Spirit, he's giving them life. This is the creation of the church, just like it was in Genesis 2. So, and the reason that breathe, breath, and spirit, and wind are all one Hebrew word. All these things have the same Hebrew word, ruach. So, when you read breath, Spirit or wind, those are all the same Hebrew word. And we're going to hear this, this is going to be throughout John, is when he talks about breath, spirit, or wind, it's because in the Hebrew, it's all the same word. So when it says in Genesis 2 that God breathed and he became a living being, that's a spirit thing. Okay? So you've heard in the Old Testament, I mean, you guys know this, it says that his spirit departed from him? Well, that's just because he's not breathing anymore. It's just a fancy way of saying he's not breathing anymore, right? Or when Jesus breathes out his last on the cross, you can also say that he, the Holy Spirit, left him, right? So he has no spirit. My God, my God, why have I forsaken me? And he breathes out the spirit. Okay, especially in the Gospel of Luke, it, it really reads as though he's Luke, the Holy Spirit is what he breathes out. So now we have, again, the resurrected Christ breathing out the Holy Spirit, not in forsakenness, but actually in giving it to the church. Right? The Spirit is breathed out from God. So the Spirit proceeds from the Father and the Son. He is breathed out. Okay, so that's why this, this breathing out and Spirit thing is... So also then, what do we say? The Holy, the Holy Scriptures are God-breathed. That's in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. 
So the Holy Scriptures are breathed out. We say breathed in, which is really weird. Inspired, that means we breathe in. It should be expired. But, but the, the Greek word is actually that they're, they're spirit-breathed words. That's what the Scriptures are. They're spirit-breathed words. So they're, they're breathed out words. So the Spirit. Does that make sense? Yeah. So, so again, um, you guys all know the story. If you go home and read it, Ezekiel 37, the Valley of Dry Bones, right? So they all come together and they're just kind of standing there, but they got no breath. So, so what, is, what does God say? Prophesy to the breath. Well, prophesy to the Spirit, right? So, so call the Spirit into them and the Spirit enlivens them with breath. So there's always this big tie between breath and spirit and wind. Um, and let us never forget that we are alive because of the spirit. Right? It's synonymous with life. It's a son. Well, yeah, all of this causes life. The Hebrew term for all this is ruach. I mean, you always pronounce your hard ch. Ruach is a is the spirit, spirit, breath, wind term in the Old Testament. Okay, so um, so here's the good news: is that the disciples did not get any of this when it happened, or when Jesus spoke these crazy words. The disciples were like, "Oh, Trinity, yeah, I get it now." You know, no, not at all. They were totally clueless. Read the Gospels; the disciples are clueless at every step. They're like, "I have no idea what you're saying. No clue what you're saying." Matter of fact, they they get it actually backwards a lot. Right? I mean, Peter gets it right once and then the next thing he said is totally wrong and Jesus calls him Satan. So, so when you get something wrong, you're doing okay. Don't worry about it. The Spirit will continue to lead you into truth. Just keep at it. Keep at it, right? This is one of the reasons we come together and discuss things and ask questions and listen to sermons and the readings in church and kind of look stuff up and like, what does this mean? But let the Spirit be the one that guides us into all truth. Does that make sense? When, when, when Jesus said, who do you say that I am? And Peter said, you are the Christ. Yeah. And, and then Jesus said it was revealed to him by the Father. Yeah. Why was it revealed by the Father and not the Spirit? Because there's no Spirit yet. Okay. It's just not a Spirit thing. Um, one of the frustratingly reality things of the Bible is that the Spirit is just... I don't get into a shovel. The Spirit is not prevalent before the resurrection of Jesus. It, from, from Genesis to Revelation, faith is given by the Holy Spirit. That's true. But the Holy Spirit is different after the resurrection of Jesus. He is now given to Christians to dwell in them, it seems, permanently. And that's kind of the best way to say it. Before the death and resurrection of Jesus and then giving the Holy Spirit at Pentecost, it seems like the Spirit can come and go, because He does in the Old Testament. But after Pentecost, it's like a gift to believers to always have the Spirit. Does that make sense? So pre-Pentecost, pre-death and resurrection of Jesus, you just don't have the Holy Spirit nearly as prominent as you do after to the point where there are a lot of people who believe that pre-Pentecost you really have a binity instead of a trinity. Two persons instead of three. Well, obviously it's not true because God's eternally trinity. But, but it's, it's so much father and son 
that it's, it's kind of hard to figure all this out. But, but don't give up. A lot of the Holy Spirit talk are illusions. Especially when you understand this idea of breath, spirit, and wind, that a lot of this stuff is actually, it's there, it just isn't being made explicit yet. The other thing to think about is um, the other way to talk about the Holy Spirit that we could get to later when we do Paul is power. So when you read about Jesus' power or power went out or authority and all those kind of things, sometimes that can be an allusion to the Holy Spirit too. Does that make sense? I give to you the power to forgive sins. Well, that's a Holy Spirit reference. He breathes on the Holy Spirit and says. So, so even sometimes the power of Jesus, the power of the disciples over unclean spirits, that's the Holy Spirit. If the disciples, remember the 72 are sent out with power over unclean spirits. Well, what spirit has power over spirits? Their unclean spirit, what spirit you got that beats the unclean spirits? You got the Holy Spirit, right? So there he is. Maybe not explicitly said, but there he is in, this, in the story. Does that make sense? It's not until later that it becomes explicitly all this is Holy Spirit stuff. Does it have something to do along with the lines that until there's three parts of the Trinity? Nope. Uh, try again. <laughs> There's three persons of the Trinity. <laughs> We're not going to divide God into parts. That's heresy. But the Holy Spirit has more of a purpose when Jesus is crucified and rises from the dead because then he becomes prominent. That's modalism. That's a heresy. Um, yes. But he's exist. But the he always exists. So yeah, so let's be clear what we're saying. The Holy the, the Trinity, God, right? God is how many beings? One being. You never divide the substance, right? You never divide up God in different substances. There's only one substance. And how many persons? Okay, so how long has God existed as one substance? Eternally. That the actual idea of the word eternally meaning there's no beginning and there's no end. Okay? He's always been one substance, God. Okay, he has always been called God because there was a long time when there was no one to call him names. Right? That's just a label we put on him. Okay? Even him is a label we put on him. Um how long is, he, is that substance that existed in three persons? Eternally. Okay? Always. So we're not saying that anything is happening within the reality of God himself. We're simply talking about the way that he has revealed himself to us in the Holy Scriptures. So, right? Does that make sense? So it's not like the Holy Spirit was actually less God for a while or less important for a while. No, it just, in the history of the revelation of God, just like the incarnation, when, when did Jesus start being the Son of God? He's always the Son. He's always been the Son. He's eternally the Son of the Father, right? We say this in the Creed, right? 
God of God and light and light. Very God of very God. Begotten, not made, being of one substance with the Father. Okay? So, so Jesus is eternally the Son of God. The Holy Spirit is eternally the Spirit of Christ. Eternally. He's always been that. It's just the way that the Holy Scriptures talk about these things. And, and, and I always say this, and don't forget that when the Son of God took on flesh and died and rose, things actually did change. Not in God, but in the revelation of God to us. Things are different now. Okay? And there's going to be another event that will change things yet again. And that is the second coming. Okay? And then the way you understand God, I promise you, will change. Right? Yeah? I'm guessing more donuts will be involved. Kind of. Or pizza. Or pizza. Well, that's a given. There's no guess on that. There will be more pizza. There's no doubt on that one. Okay? Does that make sense? So, so I just want to be clear on that. We are not saying the Holy Spirit has actually changed over time or, or any of that. But also, isn't... But also, yes. The Holy Spirit proceeds from the Father and the Son with His Father and Son together worship and glorified. You did not make that up. You were quoting somebody there. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. Exactly. So, you, so basically, he... Uh-huh. Does he not proceed Try. from the Father and the Son? He does. Okay. Okay. So. Okay. So Trinitarian theology is crazy. Okay. The word Trinity is where in the Bible? It's not. Therefore, it can't exist. Just like cheese sandwiches, which are not in the Bible, and therefore they also can't exist. So that's the first thing to admit is the word Trinity is not in the Bible. That does not mean it doesn't exist. This is just a word that we made up to try to describe God who is three persons in one substance. So try unity, Trinity, right? It's not that big a deal. It's a word we made up. That's totally fine. Um, what was I answering? Oh, yes. Okay. So the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Would you always say HG because HS is Holy Scriptures, HG is Holy Ghost, pick an old school, right? So, how do we talk about these three persons without confusing the persons and without dividing the substance? So the first thing we say is that, is the Father God? Is the Son God? Is the Holy Spirit God? Is the Father 100% God? Is the Son 100% God? Is the Spirit 100% God? If you have the Father, how much of God do you have? All of Him. It. God. Whatever, right? If you have the Son, how much of God do you have? All. If you have the Spirit, how much of God do you have? All. So, if all you get is Jesus, are you missing out? No. No, because you have all of God. Right? This is one of the best lines of Scripture. Is They go over the mountain transfiguration and Jesus is hanging out there and Moses and, and Elijah show up and then and then Peter's like, I don't know, let's stay here and have pizza or something. And Jesus is like, you're really out of your mind. And so then everything goes. You know what it says? And they're left alone with just Jesus. And you're like, if only. If only. Right? 
the blessed be the day when all I've got is Jesus, right? Because when you get him, you've got all of God. But aren't there some religions that believe in Jesus, but they don't, they don't believe in the Father and the Son, or Father and the Spirit, so if you don't have the triune God, then so you don't have... So that's Jesus. not Jesus, right? See, now, now we have an issue of who's Jesus? Because what I'm saying is, when I say Jesus, I mean the second person of the Trinity in Trinitarian theology, right? So then people say, oh, we believe in Jesus. We're like, oh, cool. You say, well, he's God. I'm like, no, not, you know, not, or they say, well, there's no father, no spirit. And we're like, okay, we're talking about different Jesuses now, right? You're, you're making stuff up because <laughs> that's not what I mean. And this is actually the problem, right? Like, oh yeah, we like Jesus. Yeah. And you go, okay, so he's, he's one with the father, one substance with the father. Like, oh, no, 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 no. He's something else. And we're going, we've got a different Jesus the Jesus I'm talking about, right, is fully God and part of a Trinity. And not part. No, I just I said it. Part is bad, right? And, and is one of the persons of the Trinity. So yeah, that's exactly right. Sometimes I gotta be clear on Jesus. Okay? Maybe I have a, a simplified mind or something. Yeah. But good. Blessed be the simplified maybe mind. It's not. I think of it kind of like when a baby is born, they have an aunt and a mother and all these yeah. Yeah. And they're called different things by different people, but they're still the same person. Yeah. You know but they're not actually called different things. They actually are different people. Yeah. yeah but like an but, aunt might be somebody's sister, but it's the baby's yeah. aunt, and it's yeah. somebody's and, daughter. Right. But, but this, they're still a whole, mm. whole baby. It, I, trust me, it doesn't work. <laughs> We've tried these. It doesn't okay, work. Just, because the father is not just a different name for the son. That's modalism. Okay? We don't want to do that. We don't want to get dynamic monarchianism either. Dynamic monarchianism. Write it down. Okay? It was said in Bible class. Yeah. Dynamic monarchianism. All right. So, so what happens is because we always try to come with all these different ideas of how to explain all this. It was like an apple. You have the core and the peel and the fruity part. And I'm like, I'm eating G. No, that's the Lord's Supper. And you get all kinds of words. But so what we say is, getting back to somebody's question about all this. Um, so the father is not created not begotten and not proceeding okay that's the father he's not created not begotten not proceeding he's just the father the son is not created but is begotten. That's how we talk about him. So the son is eternally begotten of the father, but was not created. Okay. Now we say that because there was actually a heresy in the early church saying that Jesus was the first creation of the father. And therefore was eternal, but not as eternal as the Father. This is actually in a, in a recent book called The Fault, Fault in Our Stars. It's really weird. This is actually a teeny bopper book that my daughters read, and there was a movie out. I really honestly thought they said The Farting Stars, which I thought was a great <laughs> book. I was like, that sounds good. But The Fault in Our Stars, it actually preserves this idea that there are some eternities or some infinities 
that are less or more than other infinities, right? Well, this was actually applied to Jesus, where they're like, yeah, he's eternal, just not as eternal as the Father. So the creed said, no, he is as eternal as the Father. He was not created, right? But, scripturally speaking, he was begotten. So he's begotten of a Father eternally. The Spirit is not created, not begotten, but proceeds from the Father and the Son. Okay? So the reason I, I go through that is because this is simply the way the church has historically spoken of the three persons of the Trinity so as to not confuse them, but also to never divide them from the one substance of being God. Okay? So this is why when people say things about the Trinity, I'll often say no, because it's a certain word that we try to avoid using. And one of the words we try to avoid using is parts. The Father is not part of God. Right? I mean, just think that through for a second. Now you're dividing up God in different substances. No, he is a person of the Trinity. Okay? Um, yeah. Does that make sense? That was number one. So, I just want to do, I, we got to go, but I wanted to get to number two because I want to, well, I want to finish the section, but also this is so important. I want you to see it. Number two, to what did they equate Jesus's words? Look at verse 22. The scriptures. So this is a huge thing is that after the death and resurrection of Jesus, the Holy Spirit led the disciples to equate Jesus's words have the same authority spiritually as the Old Testament. What, what verse, were you verse 22. 2.22. And they believe the Scripture and the word Jesus had spoken. So these, these are both things to believe by the power of the Holy Spirit. And again, as we're talking about the Gospel of John, this is a major point of the Gospel of John is that Jesus' words are the words of God. Believe them. And what Paul is going to tell you when he's writing his letters is, I'm not writing this out of my own coconut. I am writing these as a plenipotentiary ambassador of Jesus. Meaning when I speak, I am speaking the very words of Jesus. And you can trust his words to be the words of God. So when Paul writes as an apostle, he's saying, these are God's words. Okay? That's why his writings are in the New Testament. Because Paul wrote God's words. And we read them as such. Does that make sense? And so that's one of the things that John is getting us to see here is that when you hear Jesus speaking, you're listening to God. Listen, believe it, you have life. Okay? Let's pray. Lord, as we learn by the Spirit to believe, we rejoice. 
For when we hear our Savior speak, he, he speaks words of love to us, words of forgiveness to us, words of promise and hope and grace. So let us hear the words of law that convict us of our sins and let them drive us to the cross so we can hear our Savior once again call us in love, in forgiveness, to life eternal. Bless us now this day in Jesus' name. Thank you all.